Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Mind on Mental Health podcast. My name is Andy Dean. I'm a licensed clinical social worker, and my guest today is Nicole Glover. Nicole is a licensed professional counselor as well as a licensed clinical alcohol and drug counselor. She's a clinical manager of the women's program at Penn Medicine Princeton House Behavioral Health in Hamilton, New Jersey, as well as the owner of Restoring Pieces, a private therapy practice in Trenton, New Jersey. Today, Nicole and I discuss the effect of racial trauma on mental health. So I hope you guys enjoy the podcast and find it helpful. So the thing that I I really was the most interested in in terms of this podcast, and I think, you know, you are uniquely qualified to talk about this uh, based on especially your, your private practice experience where you deal with this a lot, is like clinically, what kind of effect does all this stuff have on somebody's psyche, right? So like, yeah. in other words, if somebody is dealing, comes to you and they are a large part of, see, I, I don't even know what the answer to this question is. Do do many people come to you and they they kind of mm-hmm. see a large part of whatever they're struggling with as being like this racial trauma component? Or do you think mm-hmm. that it's oftentimes like people don't even necessarily realize that it's something that's affecting them? So I was going to say it's it's a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I have somewhere it's just straight up. It's poignant. They know exactly what it is. It's causing them things like a diagnosis, like acute stress or. Mm. Um, anxiety, really, um, Mm -hmm. depression. Um, I'm seeing those diagnoses arise from it. And then there are some who can't really put the pen on it. They're like, this happened at work. Now, why would they question it? Like, why would he say something or she say something like that? Mm -hmm. Right. And there becomes this conversation, you know, and, and I'm, I'm winding up in these kind of situations where I'm pointing to because I don't want to assume that's what it is. I wasn't right. there, right? Yeah, yeah. They're bringing mm-hmm. me their side of the story. And, you know, a truth always has three sides. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you you can identify a lot of times, though. A lot of times the situations are so common that you, as soon as you hear it, you know what it is. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people, this is their first experience with it because maybe they are a teenager and mm-hmm. this you know, is an Mm -hmm. opportunity to attend a certain school because they've achieved, you know, some accolade academically or they're an athlete and they've gotten scholarship or something like that. And they're outside of their, what I would call cultural environment. Mm -hmm. And this is a new experience. So no, they're not able to put their finger on it as quickly. Right. Right. But when you have the conversation and when you talk about Right. Remember in your own environment, dot, dot, dot. Or remember hearing stories from a parent or an older sibling or mm-hmm. aunt and uncle. And, and then they're like, ah, right. I didn't think it would happen to me because I thought that that was right. We talk about this modern thing where there's a shift. Where yeah. We thought kids were, you know, kind of easier on each other. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and and the kids now. Right. And I would say between Gen, the millennials and Gen Zers sometimes often say, you know, that's something that that happened. It doesn't exist today until they find themselves right in the middle of it. Yeah. So I, first of all, I mean, I could imagine just as a clinician having to attend to that 
with that sort of being someone's first experience with, uh, you know, racism, and they're just a kid, man, I mean, working with kids as a clinician, I, I always say is the hardest thing because just to watch a kid go through something for whatever reason is always harder than to watch an adult go through something. But I just can't, I have to imagine that that's, you know, uh, that's, that's gotta be really tough to deal with, uh, you know, emotionally. Mm -hmm. Very, very emotional. Um, kids, kids are often like at a state of disbelief. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. the younger, they're, they're more often shocked, right, at, at it happening. And then you kind of have to teach them and guide them in, in kind of like a response because mm -hmm. their first response typically is anger. Yeah. You know, retaliation. Mm -hmm. Um, and so there, there's a lot to kind of teach them, right? Even though they have access to, yes, Google and YouTube and any other outlet that will show them what things were like back in the day, they don't understand it, right? Because mm -hmm. they weren't there, right? They see differently now. They see kind of this multicultural world, mm -hmm. right? And for a little while, those who grew up with Obama as president kind of skated by in this everything's okay environment. Yeah. Right. And we have a black president. And so that, that means racism has ended a lot mm -hmm. of youthful minds did, you know, and then the shock of the world where George Floyd occurred mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and no, it's not over. Right. People just kind of got quiet while he was president. Right. And, right. right. And so, it, it's a little bit harder when it comes to the youth because mm -hmm. you don't want to take their innocence away, yet society completely just takes the shield away from their innocence. Or, yeah, totally, <laughs> totally. Uh, yeah. And, you know, unfortunately, it's something that they're going to have to learn how to deal with. I, I Sorry, I got sidetracked just getting okay. sad about that. Um, but I know, right? When you talk about the youth, that's always the... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I asked you about this stuff from a clinical perspective and then yes. uh -huh. we left off with, um, you know, the kind of diagnosis that like I start to see mm -hmm. where people are dealing with stress, acute stress, I would mm -hmm. say, um, anxiety, depression, um, PTSD less often if, unless there's definitely some kind of past history with it. Mm -hmm. And that's identified probably a little bit later into into like a treatment episode with yeah. a client. Um, but definitely the first three, the acute stress, the anxiety and the depression. I think just thinking about what those diagnoses mean, like really totally appropriate responses. Obviously, somebody comes into treatment and they want help treating those responses, but it's almost obvious how you see, you know, someone could become depressed or someone could become mm -hmm. extremely anxious when, you know, they're dealing yeah. with the, this racism. Yeah. Depression more often because the person just doesn't see change happening, mm. yeah, yeah. right? The, depression is one of the most difficult diagnoses to work with when we're talking about racial trauma mm -hmm. because the person just does not have hope for the change. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, and again, correct me if I'm wrong here, but like mm -hmm. really the treatment for depression is behavioral activation. Like, yeah, 
doing things at a time when you don't feel like doing anything and forcing mm-hmm. yourself to do it. Yeah. But if a large part of sort of the clinical picture is that there's like a racial trauma component to it, mm-hmm. it's You're easy. asking a person to activate right in an environment that they don't want to be in. So it's a little, it, totally. it's different. It's not like, you know, we're, where we're working with our clinical depression uh, with a lot of our clients without trauma, you know, mm-hmm. it where, mm-hmm. yes, getting up, going for a walk, activate your senses, mm-hmm. right? Kind of mm-hmm. do get yourself in a routine, schedules and create positive and healthy habits, right? We can focus a lot on that, but in an environment where a person does not see any change, where there is always kind of that ceiling over them. Mm-hmm. Right. They go outside and maybe it's they can't afford to live anywhere else. And it's like a violent neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Right. And and this is all they can afford based on the inability to advance at work because they've been stigmatized and, and they can't get a, a higher placing job or a higher paying, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, job. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and the forces are just against this person. Right. It's, it's really hard to work through a, dep- a depression treatment plan or a treatment plan for depression sure. with a person experience that level of racial trauma. I mean, I hear hopelessness basically is what it yeah. sounds like, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. Which is uh, a key to depression period. But then sort of when you're working with or a large part of the clinical picture is like this thing that you really have no control over and you just see sort of getting worse and worse like it just looks bleak and that's depression is hard enough to treat as it is but when you see sort of all these outside forces that have this hopeless cloud hanging over them you know man i could just imagine that's really tough it is really tough and tough on the provider right Mm -hmm. not gonna leave myself out of that clinically tough on right tough on me to one take on the stories, right? The feelings, the anguish, the, the the what they're doing and behavior, and then try to manage, help a person manage through that because I'm human. I also feel sorry and feel, mm-hmm. right? I also have my own personal experiences. And sometimes I just want to sit and relate, you know? And I know that that doesn't help another person's view, but sometimes it does when we have common stories and can kind of powwow and and Mm -hmm. say, well, how did you handle it? Right. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it does, but there are a lot of times where I'm, I'm often just kind of full of sorrow Mm -hmm. and I get a little bit hopeless as well. Mm -hmm. I look, I got sidetracked a few minutes ago, just thinking about having to deal with this with kids. So for you to be dealing with it, Mm-hmm. you know, regularly in all kinds of different situations and to have your own lived experience with it. I mean, obviously, but I've been shielded from a lot of that because, like you said, I'm a white guy. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like, you know, you have clients coming in talking about these things that are severely affecting them and you see how upsetting it is for them. And that's also touching on things for you um, because, you know, you have your own lived experience, like you said. Yeah. Okay, so thinking of you as somebody who really specializes in this, because you do, I guess a thought that I have is just, like, like think about another clinician out there, like me as a clinician. What are maybe, like, some tips you would give me when it comes to working with racial trauma 
Yeah, so this this actually came up as a question in the workplace um, when we're trying to, un, I guess, unveil, is, is the word unveil? <laughs> roll out. Yeah, okay, un say roll yeah. Out. unveil is good. <laughs> Either one is good. <laughs> unveil or roll out um, a racial trauma curriculum. Oh, you know, okay. A lot of therapists, you know, kind of come up with that question. Mm -hmm. How do I sit in the room with this identifying as a white male or female mm -hmm. therapist and trying to run this type of group, right? And so the, the answer would be the same for you is do your research, mm -hmm. right? You've been trained uh, in trauma. You've been trained in DBT. There's all kinds of other types of trainings that you've taken to be the expert in therapy that mm -hmm. you are, right, to provide treatment, um, this would be no different. There's plenty of research out there, plenty of trainings to go to, plenty of ways to understand what racial trauma looks like, right? Mm -hmm. And so it might take you, instead of work providing such a curriculum where you can just turn page by page, it might take you doing some trainings and learning mm -hmm. some things about yourself Right. Just like you learned about your biases when you became a therapist, when you were in your master's program. Right. I don't have any biases. <laughs> right. And so that's that's kind of that thing. Mm -hmm. You you have to sit with it and, and learn alongside, you know, your coworkers and other people of color and get in and do the work. Mm -hmm. Right. If you want to be a good therapist at it. Now, there are those who probably feel defensive and shut down and don't want to talk about it because they are afraid. They fear that someone who is po possibly a victim of racial trauma, looking at them and saying that very sense, well, how are you going to help me? Right. Mm -hmm. And we know sure. what that means. Right. And there's this, this fear that might come up for you. And I think I walk into a space where a child who's been jumped or bullied. I walk mm -hmm. into a space where a substance user, you know, has has been through rock bottom and back. And mm -hmm. I, you know, they look at me and say, how are you going to totally. help me? Yes. The same kind of fear might come up, but that doesn't stop me from going in and being the best clinician that I can be. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah, because I guess after I asked you that question, I was just thinking, like what can I imagine sort of my deficiencies being when it comes to this or like what? Mm -hmm. And one for sure was like avoidance, right? Like I wouldn't want this to happen, but I could picture this happening, like feel mm -hmm. me feeling uncomfortable. So then I become, um, I try to steer the conversation away from mm -hmm. these racial trauma issues, which may be a large part of what's happening here. Um, yes. and then that's a disservice to the client. Um, yeah. Obviously, I, I like to think that that's never happened before, but it totally is possible. It's very possible. Yeah, like it, it's very possible. It's very possible that in the moment, some kind of transference or counter-transference or, right, some kind of experience that you might think back to or some kind of encounter that occurred or just even kind of this guilt just because you're a white man mm -hmm. and how society within the context of, of race now views you, mm -hmm. I would say post this blow up, this fire, this dumpster fire that the world started post George Floyd, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And COVID. So I, I would say you have to learn 
just as much about yourself as you do trying to learn about someone mm -hmm. else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's right. Great tip. Yeah. It's fair to just say, like, when you say I don't have any biases, it, it's fair to say, well, everyone does. It's mm -hmm. super fair to say everyone does. I mm -hmm. do. Mm -hmm. Right. What the deeper, I think, context to that is, what do your biases do to other people? Mm -hmm. Right. And how do they sit in the room when they come up for you with other people? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hopefully you know that I was being sarcastic when oh, I said that. Absolutely. Absolutely. But no, really. Andy, there are some people who will literally say that. I know. That's, yes. that's that conversation around microaggressions, right? right. There are some right, people who right. will I don't literally see think Yep. Uh, right. Uh -huh. And and say, you know, and and confidently, possibly egotistically go into this room and then really have their their their, you know, put their foot in their mouth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Everybody has biases and that is not, that's not the problem because those are just going to happen. Mm -hmm. The problem is if you claim that you have no biases, then you're not aware of the ones that you have. So yeah. you can't correct for them in a way, or like if you can't, if you can't even be aware of it, then it's just not even on your radar as a problem, Yeah, which is where most problems happen. Uh, in in my view, uh, yeah, it's it's hugely where most problems happen, it, mm -hmm. and and it's kind of like you're not going to correct that kind of behavior in a person unless they're willing, right? Mm -hmm. Just mm -hmm. like the 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 substance user not being ready to let go or abstain or yes. live a life of, of abstinence and recovery, they'll they'll do it when they're ready, right? That mm -hmm. readiness for change model we talk about. If a person is just not honoring their own biases or just ignoring the fact that they have them, and, and that's what I would say, really ignoring. Mm, because mm -hmm. you catch that person in a certain conversation in a certain environment, it will come out, believe mm -hmm. it or not, right? And so not being aware, just saying or avoiding, or I, I, I don't, or pretending not to be aware that, <laughs> that you do, right? It, that mm -hmm. person's not ready to change. That person's not ready to do the work. And if we're talking about a clinician, that person doesn't really have any business helping people, right? I, that's how I have always viewed it. Uh, yeah. Because, man, what that to me has always seemed like the, the most ultimate cop-out to having to mm -hmm. do any kind of work or think of, like, challenge your thinking at all to just say, like, oh, I have no biases or, you know, I don't see race, I don't see color. Like, well that that then you're just cutting off the conversation or, or like you're yeah. just cutting off your the the feeling that you have any kind of responsibility to examine your your true biases or the true way you think how convenient that must be mhm mm yep so convenient i think i'm it's so convenient and it it it's escapism yeah um i also love the example you gave of the uh substance abuse client that says like, well, you don't have a problem like with it. So how could you help me? That, that yeah. kind of thing. You know, I, I don't know. It was just a great, it was a great analogy. Um, yeah. I, I, I think it's probably fitting where I could say, you know, we work with victims of trauma. Half the mm -hmm. things that have happened to these women on my unit, I have never experienced, but that doesn't mean I can't go in and help someone work through behaviors and, and trauma and, and doing that kind of work. 
just because it has not happened to me, Mm -hmm. right? Or just because I don't identify as. We even talk about, you know, I, I hate to say trend, but that's what society does. So the trend of racial trauma being discussed and the trend of, mm. of tr- trans, right? Yeah. Um, mm. Right? It, it, like, we like to say, well, we don't know. We can't identify, right? And it doesn't mean you cannot sit in the helping profession and be a helper, right? Oh. Yeah. 